Clip that under your Is this for recording or just for amplification? It's it's both. I I, I just need to know that <laughs> in case I say something. Uh, yeah. <laughs> As Mike has said. Um, you know, a, a letter came in the mail uh, to my home. I live in Arkansas, and as you can tell, I've got a very strong Arkansas accent. It's, uh, it's north-northwest Arkansas. <laughs> oh, well, I must tell the story. I live, uh, I live in Arkansas, yes, but I moved over here five to six years ago from Northern Ireland. Um, I've been working with Christian Witness to Israel for 14 years. Uh, I was in regular ministry 18 years prior to that. Um, but the, the mission wanted to, I had started to make a few contacts over here, but the mission in 2010 wanted to uh, send me over. We tried to get a visa, and uh, uh, immigration is a challenge, and uh, I, we failed. We were turned down on our visa attempt in 2010. Um, and then I was visiting a church in 2011 in Arkansas, and the church said, you know, could we help in this? We'd love to have this ministry here uh, in the U.S. Uh, perhaps we can call you as an assistant pastor. We can't pay you, but if, if you can uh, get here in some way, and I said, sure, uh, we'll, we'll leave the funding to, uh, to the fundraising, uh, but if you can help and facilitate in the visa, and that's what they did. And so I'm, uh, up until about six months ago, I was assistant pastor at Covenant Church, Fayetteville, Arkansas. Um, now I'm ministering out of bounds. I'm within the, the PCA as a, a missionary pastor ministering out of bounds. Um, and it means that I do, I travel, uh, as I said, 40,000 miles a year by car. Um, I'm on a two-week tour at the moment. I don't often leave my long-suffering wife for that length of time, but uh, she does uh, permit me to go off and and visit these strange folks in the Northeast. And I, so it, it's a joy and delight. I really mean that. Um, I love visiting the Lord's people, and I love talking about this subject, as, as I trust that you will, you will uh, see. The work of Christian Witness to Israel is a historic work. It goes back 175 years. Um, and today, though, my desire is to see this work enlarged uh, in the, the U.S. And so when I receive a, a check in the mail from Concord, Massachusetts, and uh, my wife, who is my accountant and uh, does all the books for CWI, she said, where's Concord, Massachusetts? Who do you know up there? And I said, I don't know, <laughs> but I'm going to find out. Um, and so that was really the start of, of the investigation, an email with Matt and... and uh, and then I knew I was coming up here to Laurel last Sunday, and I thought, can I? And I then was preaching and speaking in the Pittsburgh um, Reformed Seminary. I gave three lectures every year in Pittsburgh, RPTS, Reformed Theological, Reformed Presbyterian Theological Seminary. And so I thought, okay, I'll stretch it and I'll go further east. Uh, so pray for me driving home tomorrow. I'm preaching in Springfield tonight. Uh, I've known Rob Hill in Springfield for a number of years when he was down in Mississippi, preached for him uh, regularly there. So I'm going to Springfield tonight, uh, and then Monday I start a two-day journey home, uh, stopping by Louisville because I have a son and uh, four grandchildren that are in Louisville, Kentucky, and actually it's my uh, eldest grandchild's fifth birthday today, so I'm going to be able to drop by Tuesday and... Uh, give them a birthday gift. So that's a little bit about me. Um, the mission is, as you see, that's our kind of charity 501c3 statement, uh, to advance the Christian faith as an evangelistic agency, and I stress that part, an evangelistic agency to the Jewish people throughout the world, as you'll see from our literature, 
but here in the U.S. to challenge the church and help the church, to assist the church, to fulfill the task of bringing the gospel uh, to our Jewish neighbors. So there is an aspect of reaching the Jewish people and teaching and helping and instructing and resourcing the church in your mission to the Jewish people, your Christian witness to Israel. Um, Mike, can you remind me when do we finish? Just so as. Ah, plenty of plenty of time. We might even have a little Q and A as well. If it, we'll we'll see how the time goes. Um, don't give the preacher too much time. If you give it, yeah, he'll take it. <laughs> so we are 175 years old um, as of last November. Uh, I was back in the UK uh, in January. I, we had celebration meetings. We had other training meetings. And uh, I was back, and it was, it was really uh, fascinating to go into our archive library at head office and find these reports uh, of the first meeting. Uh, the first uh, physical meeting was November 1842, and then the first actual business meeting was in 1843. And the first report was there in its binded form. And as you can do now, I took pictures of the first half dozen pages, and I sent them back to my uh, very able wife. And I said, uh, could you type those up for me, please? <laughs> so she typed it all up. And actually, if you're, if you're interested in the historical things, uh, the first report is on the table there, and you're, you're very... Uh, I feel very free to, to take that first report. But we have been witnessing to Jewish people for 175 years. Where did that all begin? Well, one of the books that I read when I was at seminary, and I think I have only one copy left over there, but that's The Puritan Hope by Ian Murray. And it brought to my heart and mind two things. One, that we should have an optimism about the kingdom. Uh, I think sometimes we can get very depressed about church and church life and the society in which we live. We have a great God, and we have a great gospel, and we have a gospel that turns the world upside down. The Puritans believed that, and they had a hopefulness. They had an aspiration. Uh, they were, you know, the, the cup-half-full people. And in my early ministry days, that book was, was very influential to me, in, in just making me delight in our God and the gospel that we preach. Um, and also, it made me also aware of Jewish missions and how so many of the Puritans and uh, those that we would look up to as, uh, as our forefathers in the faith and, and heroes, if we, if we can call them that, um, they believe very strongly in the importance of reaching the Jewish people. So much so that in 1839 or early 1830s, the Church of Scotland um, started an Israel committee, and then they sent four of their finest men on a mission of discovery. Robert Murray McShane and Andrew Bonner were the young 20-somethings that were sent. They were the young, restless, and reformed then, and they, there were two older guys that were sent with them to keep these young guys in check. And these four pastors went to the Holy Land uh, on a mission sent from the Church of Scotland. Why did the Church of Scotland send four of its best to the Holy Land? Well, I can only suggest that it was a theological burden, a biblical burden for the ancient people. And that was thus really the beginnings of modern Jewish evangelism. And our ministry was kind of the outworking of that uh, when McShane came back in 1839, uh, he started to preach, um, as many of the Scots Presbyterians and others were doing, preaching our duty to Israel. And our duty, very simply, is to bring the gospel back to those that brought it to us. This is a Jewish book. It's about a Jewish man. It's written by Jewish authors. And it was gifted to us by first century and, and others, Jewish missionaries. So it, it deeply saddens me that they gave it to us, and we have said, thank you very much, and we'll go on and evangelize the rest of the world. And today, the Jewish people are an unreached people group. 
there's something wrong in that picture. 19 centuries of Gentile church believing in a Jewish Messiah, and the Jewish people are an unreached people group. Brothers and sisters, this should not be. And so the McShane and the Bonners and, and others had a burden, and they preached that burden, and they put it into practice by actually traveling all the way to Palestine, as it was called then, and through Europe, and meeting Jewish communities in all of these places with a view to a, a discovery and an inquiry into the situation of the Jewish people. There's a story of a little old Scotch, uh, Scots lady in Bonner's church, and uh, she is just wondering, what is going on? My pastor is going to go away for months to the Holy Land. And uh, she, she's asking a question, the, the Holy Land, well, how, how's he going to get there? And uh, so they explained to her he's going to travel across, uh, you know, down through England, across to France, uh, through Europe. He's going to do go down into Egypt, and then he's going to come up from Egypt into the Holy Land. Said, Egypt, he's, he's going to be in Egypt. Ach, sure, we'll not see him again for about 40 years. Now, if you need subtitles for that, I can, I can supply the subtitles. <laughs> but she basically was amazed. We're not going to see our pastor. For, if he goes to Egypt, it'll be 40 years there. Um, why did they do it? It really was an amazing mission trip, but it was a theological burden. You know, some years ago, I was preaching in Inverness in Scotland and met a, a wonderful gentleman, and uh, the story of this is amazing, but I haven't time to deal with it in full. But he had McShane's Bible dated 1843, and I, we're not allowed reformed relics, <laughs> but handling Robert Murray McShane's Bible dated 1843, I haven't washed my hands ever again. <laughs> uh, I'm, it was a treasure, and I was flicking over, he had little notes in it, and as you can see from the image, he had underlined, God is able to graft them in again. In other words, Romans 11 uh, verse 23, God isn't done with the natural branches, the Jewish people. God is able to graft them in again. And so I, I was, felt I was touching history, and I, and I saw the burden of that dear saint of old who died at 29, the godly Robert Murray McShane, but not without inspiring people unto godliness, unto Bible reading. Some of you will know the McShane Bible reading calendar and also unto Jewish mission. So that's kind of the background, the historic background uh, to our labors. Uh, one other little story just with regard to the background uh, is that we need to recognize that our own Westminster Standards had prayers and has prayers for Jewish mission within uh, our Westminster documents. So this, was, this wasn't something dreamed up in the 1800s. It goes back to the 1600s. Indeed, it goes back to the first century. But if uh, those of you who want to, to search in the documents, the Westminster Directory for Public Worship says that we should be praying for Jewish mission every Lord's Day. And the larger catechism question, 191, uh, I always get people to remember it, not 911, 191. The larger catechism, 191, has a specific prayer that the Jews would be called. And again, why did our our forefathers in the 1600s specifically mention Israel, mention the Jewish people. It was because, again, they saw in the Scriptures that God was not finished with Israel, and the Romans 9 through 11 passages particularly, there's your homework for Sunday afternoon, read Romans 9 through 11, but there's that longing and desire for the natural branches to be grafted in again. And it was our Westminster forefathers that... that saw that and, and certainly put it into the documents. But as I come over here, um, I'm Scots-Irish, so yeah, I make no apology. I want a Scottish burden. I want a Scottish uh, view of this to be restored. Uh, but as I come here, it seems to me that not only are we in a mission field, but we are also in a minefield. Why do I, why do I say that? Well, first of all, we're in a mission field because... 42% of Israel lives here. 42% of the world's Jewish population lives here. If you want to bless Israel, think 
here. And I think it's also important to note that never before in New Testament history have as many Jews and Christians lived side by side than right now in the United States of America. If you know the missionary um, manual, uh, Operation World, Patrick Johnson, um, it's, it's, it's not perfect, but it has wonderful uh, statistics and prayer points of uh, all the countries of the world. And if you check on the USA, he has some wonderful things to say about the USA. But he says that there are 92 million evangelicals in the United States. I think that's a little high. Uh, maybe my Scots-Irish sober-minded nature, I, I'd cut that in half. Maybe cut it even in, in a third. But 30 million evangelicals and 6 million Jews. Never before have as many Jews and true Christians lived side by side than right now in the U.S. And so we've got to ask the question, why? What are we here for? We're here for such a time as this. And what is our calling? And what should we be doing? Well, there's the mission field as, as it kind of is identified with red dots. That's where the Jewish people are. A lot of it is East Coast, West Coast, um, and the snowbirds in, in South Florida. Um, but every major city, you know, I was in Pittsburgh, 30,000 Jews in Pittsburgh. In Squirrel Hill, part of Pittsburgh, there's 15,000, 50% of the Jewish population in Pittsburgh lives in Squirrel Hill. Uh, I ate at the Jewish deli, and uh, <laughs> I tell the story, it was, it, was, it was quite funny, but I was at the Jewish deli on the, the, the main street in Squirrel Hill of Pittsburgh, and of course I had matzo ball soup. And uh, matzo ball soup is, is, the, is the thing to have, of course. But the, the alternative soup was uh, potato and bacon. And I thought, <laughs> <laughs> potato and bacon? I didn't ask for it, but it did seem strange that in Squirrel Hill, the Jewish deli, they're serving potato and bacon soup. But <laughs> every major city, we're, um, I'll tell you maybe a little bit later, but we're actually hoping to put a missionary in Chicago, 300,000 Jewish people in Chicago. There are 300,000 in Philly. I was at a PCA church on, Philly night, uh, on, on Friday night preaching in, in Philly. Um, that's a, a deliberate, uh, intentional uh, outreach to uh, the Jewish-Russian community, and, and the service was translated into Russian uh, as I preached on uh, Friday night um, in Philadelphia. Um, I was in Florida. We had a worker in Florida. We had to let him go. We had some issues and support issues, um, but we had to let him go. We had him there for two years, and uh, I was down visiting with him, and we were in the Starbucks, and 50% of the folks in Starbucks were wearing kippah. And we started to talk about Jewish mission. In fact, the Baptist pastor in Hollywood uh, at that point was a Jewish believer. And I had known him, but I hadn't met him for many years. And uh, it, so we were, you know, we were hugging and we were talking about Jewish mission. And our conversation, as, you, as it would, got very animated because I get very animated. I'm Scots-Irish and he's Floridian and he got animated. And you could see these Jewish people looking at us. Some of them started to take their coffee and, and move elsewhere. Um, there's a kosher Dunkin' Donuts in Florida. See, that, that, you know you're in Jew Central. Um, 40,000 in Houston, 50,000 in Dallas. Um, I was in, I'm in Cleveland, the PCA Church in Cleveland. I preach there's 80,000 in Cleveland, 200,000 in Atlanta. Um, every major city has a Jewish population. And my... my my burden is to get the church realizing this and, and stop by a tree for Israel or staring at blood moons and, and a lot of silly stuff that goes on in the name of Israel ministry. This is our ministry, bringing the gospel to our Jewish neighbors. This is the mission field. But then there is a minefield I was taking part in a conference in Denver about a year ago, um, and it was a bit of a mixed bag, and there were a certain number of things that I wasn't really happy about. The conference kind of changed in shape as it was being organized. It was to be a conference that I would be taking the lead in and teaching the church, helping the church to reach its Jewish neighbors. It kind of got hijacked and ended up, uh, there were a 
a number of things uh, that were at it uh, that bore no real resemblance to the gospel. There was a shofar blowing session. You know, you want to learn to blow the shofar? Okay, well, they'll teach you that. It's, it's interesting, it's fun. What's it got to do with the gospel? There was an Israeli dance session. I don't like dance at the best of times, but there, there was an Israeli dance. Then on, on the Saturday afternoon, um, they Skyped uh, a rabbi. And uh, actually, I'll hold off, hold off on that thought. I'll tell that story a little bit later. But also some of the literature that was uh, available was this literature from... Um, a certain organization. I'm not sure why that's a little high. It's, yeah, it's, it's on my screen. It's okay. There must be some reason for that. No worries. Is it? Maybe not right then. No worries. Christians United for Israel. It's the most pro-Israel organization in the U.S., according to its literature. Two to three million members. If this was uh, two to three thousand members, I could ignore it. I wish I could ignore it. I can't ignore it because it's the largest pro-Israel organization in the U.S. So I got their literature, How You Can Bless Israel. And uh, I read this, 32 pages. It doesn't mention Jesus once. Not once. How in the world of Jewish mission or Christians united for Israel can you not mention his name? There is something seriously wrong. In fact, of course there is. It's heresy. Standing with Israel without Jesus. Well, Galatians 1 speaks about that, doesn't it? If, if someone comes and preaches you another gospel, let him be anathema. Of course, the Hagee theology is that Jesus is not for the Jews. He's for the Gentiles. And there are two ways to heaven dual covenant theology, one for the Jews, one for the Gentiles. I have a quote from John Hagee from the Houston Chronicle. Torah observant Jews are already in covenant with God and do not need to come to the Messiah. Tell that to the Apostle Paul, who went to every synagogue under heaven to tell his Jewish friends about Jesus. This is the minefield that we are in. And I I visit a lot of good churches and people will say to me, oh, John Hagee, he's big into Israel. Isn't that wonderful stuff? And I have to say, mm, no, no, be careful. Be careful in the minefield. Or you might find others who will say, well, send your 25 bucks and help the poor Jewish people buy matzah for Passover. Um, the guy that runs that is uh, not a Christian. He's a Jewish rabbi. And uh, I'm told that he is on a salary of half a million dollars. Mm, nice for a not-for-profit. My, my salary's a little less than that. <laughs> but, you know, send you 25 bucks. Help the poor Jewish people. And What's it got to do with the gospel? Or there'll be others that will sell you the secret and sell you the latest blockbuster and latest left behind, which needs to be left behind. Okay, pun intended. Um, we want to have the secret. We want to have the timeline. We, you know, this... I was given a DVD on this. Um, I watched it. The guy has the secret of Isaiah chapter 10, verse 11. And the secret of Isaiah chapter 10, verse 11, is that it's all about 9-11. The towers. Really? It's about Israel. It's about Jerusalem. It's, it's, but he believes it's got the secret to America's future. Just be careful, friends. Please, please be careful. It's a minefield out there. And then there are others that just want to discuss. And here's where I go after my reform buddies. Because we love discussing covenant theology, or we love discussing replacement theology, or we'll discuss amillennialism, postmillennialism, premillennialism, and everything else in between. I had a conversation with Alistair Begg about a year ago. I got to visit with him. had a super time visiting with Alistair Begg. And, uh, and we got on to the millennial question, and I, he said, yes, yeah, Stephen, he says, uh, I'm pro-millennial. I'm for it. <laughs> yeah, and, and the pan-millennial, uh, it'll all pan out in the end, yes. Um, but we love discussing. And please don't misunderstand, we need to discuss things. 
and we need to seriously engage even our dispensationalist friends. But discussing, discussing, discussing means that Jewish people don't hear the gospel. And in our reformed world, we're good at discussing but not doing. We're good at talking about evangelism but not doing evangelism. And we need to be careful that we don't slip into that that this is all spiritual work because we're holding conferences. And we're doing it right here, and I'm talking about it. But I want us to do it. I want you to do it among your Jewish friends. So my ministry is encouraging that intentionality in churches. Um, as I travel, you know, I visited Pittsburgh again in January past, did a conference, uh, did a weekend of, of, of how to reach our Jewish neighbors did uh, three seminars there. Uh, we need to be wise. We need to be sensitive. Um, we need to be careful. We need perhaps even to think through the terms that we use. Don't talk about an Old Testament. They don't have an Old Testament. Uh, and if we talk about an Old Testament, they think that we're talking about an old clunker and we've got the new model, which is true, but we don't uh, put down. In fact, the Scriptures say the old came with glory. So we need to recognize that the Old Covenant came with glory, but the New has surpassing glory. But as we're talking to our Jewish friends that haven't got part two, we need to be wise and sensitive. Perhaps we need to talk about Messiah rather than Christ, because they've been labeled the Christ killers for centuries. We need to talk about, again, the Tanakh, perhaps, rather than the Old Testament. Now, what does Tanakh mean? T-N-K is Torah, Nevi'im, Ketuvim, law, prophets, writings. And that's exactly what Jesus called it. He talked about the law. He talked about the prophets, talked about the writings. That's what our Jewish friends talk about today. And we would be better talking about that than talking about the Old Testament. Or whenever we're actually engaging with our Jewish friends, don't immediately turn to John 14 or, or um, you know, take them to the Scriptures. Take them to their Scriptures. Take them to Isaiah 53. Take them to, well, I'll, I'll tell this story, and, and uh, you can pick up the story from, uh, on, on this little piece of paper as well. But go back to that conference that I was uh, at in Denver. And uh, on the Saturday afternoon, we were Skyping a rabbi. And the question that the host did, uh, presented to the rabbi, how can Christians stand with Israel? I didn't really like the question. I, I, what does stand with really mean? What does Israel really mean in, in, in that question? But uh, the question was, how do Christians stand with Israel? The rabbi came back and said, well, we want you to, to be with us economically. We want you to be with us politically. Uh, come visit the land, and it's wonderful for you to stand with us. But, he said, but leave us alone. Leave us alone with regard to evangelism. And I'm sitting at the back, and I, there was time for questions, and so I could contain myself no longer, and I scribble little questions, send it up to the host at the front, and I said, you know, could you ask the rabbi this question? And my question was this. In the light of Psalm 67, again, for your homework, but the, we read the psalm to the rabbi. In the light of Psalm 67, Mr. Rabbi, your ancestors were praying for my Scots-Irish ancestors 3,000 years ago. And you were praying in Psalm 67 3,000 years ago that my ancestors would come to know the God of Israel and His salvation. Psalm 67 verses 1 and 2 particularly. And my question to the rabbi was simply this, why didn't you leave us alone? And I said, Thank God you didn't leave us alone. Thank God that the remnant Israel prayed for the nations and that Christ came and Christ's disciples gave us this. And we are sitting here because a little prayer meeting in Jerusalem prayed 3,000 years ago for the nations of the world. Now, by the end of the evening, I had had enough of Israeli dancing and shofar blowing, and I was just getting a little tired, and we had a panel discussion, and I, uh, <laughs> I got a little, well, maybe I, uh, I probably should have said it, but I, I said, you know, what I really wanted to say to the rabbi was, I put on my Liam Neeson voice, and I said, I will find you, <laughs> and I will tell you about Jesus. <laughs> and that's our ministry. 
finding our Jewish neighbors and telling them about Jesus because they did not leave us alone. Thank God. And so my burden is to encourage this kind of intentionality in churches because we're scattered around those red dots, enabling the sensitivity and wisdom and then equipping you practically. I get phone calls quite regularly. I've got a Jewish dentist. I've got a Jewish doctor. How do I reach them? Or I've got this long-standing friend. We've known each other for 30 years, but when we left, uh, we, we, we meet up from time to time, but we promised each other 30 years ago that we would never talk about religion and politics. And I said, you need to start talking about religion. Well, not about religion, but you need to start talking that question. And so I get you know, contact and helping churches to equip you practically to be the church among our Jewish neighbors. My desire, my vision really is that we'll grow. Uh, we did, as I say, have a worker in Florida, but we had to let him go. We're hoping for a new worker in Chicago. His visa is in process. I was talking to another guy in Pittsburgh uh, who's very seriously interested in becoming a full-time missionary with us. So pray for that. We need more help. We need more staff. We need more support, obviously, for those uh, ministries, for all of those ministries. But also, also, ultimately, we need more Jewish people saved. That's our longing, Romans 10.1. My heart's desire and prayer to God for Israel. In Romans 10.1, you know, sometimes I test churches, and I say, my heart's desire and prayer to God for Israel, Romans 10.1 is that we'll get them all back to the land, they'll find the red heifer, they'll build the temple, and they'll start the sacrifices. And people are looking at me with glazed expressions. And I said, no, you don't see that in Romans 10.1. In Romans 10.1, you see my heart's desire and prayer to God for Israel is that they may be saved. And that's the no-brainer with regard to Israel ministry. Well, let me for about maybe 10 minutes take us on a little tour uh, around the world just to let you know where we are in terms of our international ministry, and then we'll maybe have, uh, as I say, five or ten minutes of Q&A. Um, Andrea is our missionary in London. I first met Andrea in uh, Cork in Ireland, um, and uh, I was the secretary for Ireland for eight years. Andrea is from Romania, and uh, actually, she's from Transylvania. She says, if you look at her teeth, you can see, yeah. <laughs> she's, she's from Transylvania, um, that part of Romania. But uh, Andrea is uh, a supergirl married to Tim. And uh, Tim actually is, is uh, a U.S. He's, he's also from Denver. Um, but they're working in London, and Andrea is, is our missionary, one of our missionaries in London. Um, I want you to know also that all of us are just ordinary people. Sometimes we can get this impression, oh, those wonderful missionaries, they're super, superhuman people. Um, we are ordinary people with ordinary difficulties. I'll ask you to pray for Andrea. They had their first child last fall, and the child was stillborn. And uh, she's, she's broken. I, I was with her in January. Um, just broken. Um, but broken people are sometimes the best people to minister to other broken people. So she is actually having an effective witness to her Jewish friends, even through her brokenness. But life is hard. Um, she can't help but think of her son that she lost. Um, but she had the optimism as well. She said, Stephen, we're hoping for number two and number three. And I said, yes, Andrea, please, please, God. Um, that she may have more children. But pray for Andrea. A lot of these photos are from our 175th um, celebrations, and so that's uh, why I, I, I'm able to bring them. Joseph, our CEO in the UK, is a Jewish believer. Uh, he worked for Jews for Jesus for some time, as well as CWI back in the 80s. Uh, some of you, if you can go way back, you might have remembered the Liberated Wailing Wall, uh, which was a musical group from Jews for Jesus. Joseph played saxophone in uh, the Liberated Wailing Wall. Um, he went into other ministry in the UK. He's been in the UK, although he's American, he's been in the UK for 30-plus years. And, uh, but just a, about three years ago, I think, he took over the helm of our CEO work, uh, in London. Uh, in, now our head office is Oxford in England. 
Um, but uh, so Joseph, and Joseph has a real passion for, for evangelism very much so, and, and what drives him is, as he has said to me repeatedly, you know, a Gentile told me about Jesus. So Stephen, you Gentiles are better at it than us Jews. And I said, come on, Joseph. You know, Jews are better at telling each other. He said, no, a Gentile told me about Jesus. And also he said, you know, my mother died without knowing her Jewish Messiah. And I want every Jewish person to hear about Jesus. So that, that's what drives him. Um, going over to the next few picture, the big guy in the center uh, is Egal. Egal is an Israeli, a Ukrainian Israeli. And uh, I met him in January, a wonderful gentle giant. Um, he was saved from hard drugs. He was a heroin addict for 18 years. Spent eight years in an Israeli prison. But the Lord gloriously saved him. And he's doing a very effective work among the drug addicts and working in the rehab center in Israel. Um, and just, again, telling his story of how the Lord saved him and that Jesus is your Jewish Messiah and is the answer to all your addictions and problems. Um, so pray for Egal. Again, you can hear more if you, uh, our literature is on the table. Read more of the stories. Uh, Orel to the left, uh, is in Paris, and uh, wonderful stories about Aurel and uh, a rabbi around a restaurant table. All this really to say is we're, we're just engaging very ordinarily, but intentionally, in reaching our Jewish neighbors uh, wherever they may be. Um, Israel has the most Jewish people in the world, 45%. America has the second, 42%. And France has the third. Uh, there are half a million Jews in France, and half of them are in Paris. Um, so, again, pray for Aurel in Paris. We are holding, uh, I haven't got the magazine here, but our magazine at the table uh, will show that we are holding a very specific outreach in Paris this August. And uh, Aurel will be heading that up. I haven't yet decided if I'm going to be doing that, but every year we do uh, like a two-week, a 10-day, 12-day, 14-day street outreach. Last year it was Amsterdam, and the year before that was Berlin. Um, we find a lot of Israelis will come to these European cities uh, in the summer months, and uh, we are hoping to engage as well as the Paris Jewish community uh, in August. So pray for that. And even if the Lord would put it, put it upon your heart, consider going to that or even helping others to go to that. Um, we need the funding. We need the the people to come uh, to, to that outreach in Paris as well. So the information on the Paris outreach is on the table. And then Eugene, uh, to the right, is, is my new guy for Chicago, God willing. His visa, uh, as I say, is in process. Eugene studied um, at Deer, Deerfield <clears throat> at the um, Trinity Evangelical Divinity School, uh, Don Carson Seminary. He studied there about seven or eight years ago, got a real burden for the Jewish people, uh, went back to Taiwan. He's a missions pastor in a church in Taiwan, but uh, continued to have this burden, and so he applied uh, to work through CWI, and uh, he has been approved, and we're going through the processes. Pray for the visa. Again, as uh, I've said repeatedly, visas are um, they're not a done deal. They're, they're never a done deal. Uh, we're just praying that all things will go smoothly. So RL in the streets of Paris, uh, Aviel in Tel Aviv. Aviel, again, another dear brother, Jewish believer in the land of Israel. In the land of Israel, there's, it's been an amazing story over the past 30, 40, well, 70 years. Um, in 1948, there were 12 Jewish believers in the land of Israel in 1948. In 1968, the 12 became 50. In 1998, the 50 became 5,000. And today, the 5,000 is 30,000. Our brothers and sisters in Christ, Jewish, Israeli to the core, 30,000 of them, but they're surrounded by 7 million non-believing Jews. It's 21st century is like 1st century all over again. It's this small remnant of Jewish believers who are being hounded and persecuted by their Jewish brothers and sisters because they believe in Jesus. So pray for Egal 
and pray for Aviel. Um, one of the most moving uh, times when I was in London, uh, when I was in, in Oxford, I was in the UK, um, at the celebrations, Aviel was interviewed. And uh, he has a very specific outreach to the Holocaust survivors. And uh, I think in the sermon, I'm going to just read a little extract uh, from that as well. But he very pointedly said, you know, the Holocaust survivors are dying. Like They're, they're in their 90s. Um, but they're dying um, every month. More and the numbers are just diminishing. And, and the point that he made very vividly is they survived the fires of Auschwitz. But there's another fire. And we need to tell them in the Lord's grace and mercy before, before they meet their God. And so my brother has, has very specifically um, in, engaged with the Holocaust survivors. Uh, so pray for Aviel in that regard. Uh, the two folks at the left and right are both English, but the three in the center is our, uh, is our Israeli team. We have some other staff as well in Israel, but those are the main workers. And the other one that I want to introduce you is David Zadok. Um, and uh, David sometimes joins me uh, at the General Assembly, and we will have a booth together. We're actually not doing it this year, but in previous years, uh, we've often shared a booth. David is a pastor um, in uh, just outside Tel Aviv, Reformed Baptist, Grace and Truth Congregation, uh, but he also heads up our Hagefen Publishing work. And Hagefen Publishing is basically translating a lot of good literature into modern Hebrew. So we've translated Bunyan, we've translated Matthew Henry, we've translated Calvin, we've translated the Heidelberg Catechism, uh, we've translated Ligon Duncan's latest book. Uh, that has just been translated into modern Hebrew. Uh, and uh, Spurgeon's checkbook at the Bank of Faith, we, we translated that into modern Hebrew. We gave it to every Jewish believer serving in the Israeli military. And so we're, we're being Christian witness to Israel in the land, uh, both to our uh, Israeli Jewish believers and as they seek to reach their own. Uh, I, David is uh, a dear friend. He has been with us since 2006. Um, and in fact, he has had relationship with us even longer than that. He studied at Westminster, California, studied at Westminster Escondido in 2003 to 2006, um, but he's back. He's a major in the Israeli army, so he's a soldier, um, and uh, just a, a lovely, lovely guy. Um, pray for David even in his pastoral ministry and his publishing ministry. And we have been there since 1922, before even the land of Israel uh, was reborn. We've been in the Holy Land. Uh, we had a medical mission in Haifa uh, in the 20s. Very quickly, just again, other workers, just, these are just names to you. These are just places. Just please uh, have them in your prayers. Asaf, as you can see on the left side, uh, has a wonderful sense of humor, and he headed up our Amsterdam outreach last summer, and uh, it, it was just a joy to meet with him. Bogi is in Budapest. Her husband is a Reformed pastor, uh, and he also helps, uh, but he has his full pastoral duties. But Bogey uh, is just, again, a very personable, one-on-one -on -one character and uh, working with the Jewish community in Budapest. Aurel is there. Grace is also from Taipei, from Taiwan. She has been in Glasgow for the past 30-plus years as one of our missionaries, long-standing missionaries uh, in Glasgow in Scotland. Richard is in the north of England and uh, he runs a little Friday night meeting, a, a Messianic fellowship. Messianic fellowships are messy. <laughs> Just be careful uh, with some Messianic fellowships. Some have more Gentiles in them than Jews, and that can be a little bit messy, and the theology can be messy. Church theology, churches can be messy, so we just need to be careful. But Richard runs this Friday night Messianic fellowship in England, which is, I would say, of course I would, one of the best. And it's kind of a halfway house between the church and the Jewish community. Richard is married to a Jewish believer, and uh, they will hold uh, Friday night meetings and then specific outreach events, uh, particularly at Passover or at Sukkot or Hanukkah. And uh, I'm, I'm told that Joe, this elderly Jewish man, is intellectually converted, uh, but we want him really to have that heart work and uh, Richard has been working with him for some time, 
uh, just as you can see, helping him understand. Uh, and he sees Jesus in, uh, in the Passover, but we do want not just the intellectual, yes, it's Jesus, but we want the Lord to really work in his heart. Uh, again, just to say we are all different. We're all just ordinary people, diverse characters, multicultural, as you can see. Uh, but we have this one desire that they may be saved. And of course, without me, you can do nothing. There is um, one of the other little booklets. I should have brought it up, but there's a Spurgeon um, sermon that's on the table. When I go to Presbyterian churches, I wave the McShane and the Bonner, and weren't they wonderful Presbyterians? And then I go to Baptist churches, and I, I hold up the Spurgeon one. Spurgeon was a great Baptist preacher, the London Baptist preacher. Well, Spurgeon preached for us on four occasions. And one of the sermons that Spurgeon preached for our ministry was on Ezekiel 37, on the Valley of Dry Bones. And if you know that passage of the Valley of Dry Bones, the, the preacher is told to preach to the bones and pray for the wind. And, and really, in a nutshell, that's, that's what our ministry is. We are preaching to the bones, dead. They're not, there's no back door into heaven, Mr. Hagee. They are dead. They are lost. We're preaching to bones, but we are to pray for the wind. And what I want of you more than anything is that you will pray for the wind of God to blow upon the lost sheep, upon the dry bones of the house of Israel. And as we preach, and as you pray, and as the Lord gives the increase, so they come to life, so they are born anew. That's our desires. There's our website and uh, Facebook and email for those of you who are into those things. Please take that. There's a little sign-up sheet as well if you want to get our regular uh, magazine every two months. Uh, I send out the little supplement uh, for CWI North America every four months, but the one that comes from head office uh, comes out six times a year, and that's three times a year. And it can be just by email uh, or by regular mail, whatever you prefer. I like the regular mail, I have to say, because email, we, we, we're, we're too easy to delete emails. Uh, if you get a regular newsletter, you're, you're more inclined to read it. But whatever, we can get it to you by email or regular mail. Um, we have five minutes. I'm done. Um, but we have time for some Q&A. So if there's any question uh, that you would like to ask uh, of me or of the ministry, or this is your opportunity. Yes. Well, the, the greater New York area is 2 million of the 6 million, but even stretch that out further. Um, so, you know, you could probably say that pretty much almost half, if, if not even more than 50% of the U.S. Jewish population is all in the Northeast in this whole area. Uh, but the, the only actual stat I have is New York, and it's 2 million. 2 million of the 20 million uh, in, in the greater New York area, 2 million are Jewish. Yeah, it's, it's a strange one, I've, I've told Mike. Um, the Lord has wonderful ways in his providences, but um, I, I did read Puritan Hope when I was a student, and I got that theological burden. I did have that understanding and that hopefulness. Um, I got this magazine, the magazine for Christian Witness to Israel, uh, for most of my ministry life. It was a good, reputable ministry, certainly out of the UK, um, and so I had known about it. But um, I was in the midst of a pretty messy church situation where I ended up actually out of, uh, I ended up in, in, uh, on medication. I ended up off work for two to three months. Um, don't need to go into too much of the details, but it, it was uh, a very sad church situation. Um, it was attempted to be resolved by presbytery, and uh, they did a good job. Um, but ultimately, I knew it wasn't going to work. We, we brought some resolution together. Uh, ultimately, I knew it wasn't going to work. And out of the blue, I got a phone call from a Baptist brother that I had known for 20-plus years. Um, and he was on the board of CWI UK. And he just said, Stephen, we're looking for a guy to travel all over Ireland, uh, represent the work of CWI. Uh, 
your name has been mentioned. Would you be interested? I don't know why my name was mentioned, or maybe it was my elders in the church trying to get rid of me or something. I don't know. But I don't trust my own judgment on call, and I talked with two or three other of my colleagues that I do trust, and uh, they said, Stephen, we think this is, this is going to be good. It's good for you. It's good. I think, you know, I think this is your niche. Um, and uh, that was 14 years ago, and I haven't looked back. I, it was a steep learning curve at first um, as I really got intensely uh, involved in understanding what we were doing on the ground. I had, as I said, I had the historic and the theological, but not the, the very practical. Um, but the more I was involved, the more I wanted to know more and to just immerse myself in it. And I, I, w- I just want to um, infect uh, you with that same burden uh, with which I have been affected. So even out of the, the most adverse circumstances, the Lord can bring us to, to new ministries. So, yeah. Any other? Yeah. Yeah. That's a great question. (laughs) I wish I had an hour or two to answer that. Uh, The older I get, the less I know. That's just just normal Christian maturity. Uh, You come out of seminary and you've got the theology to change the world and you think that you you know it all. Um, (laughs) A a Reformed Baptist pastor gave me this, Stephen. You, You need to carry this card around with you. Uh, so I'm, I'm an official card-carrying Calvinist, just, uh, just so you know. Uh, <laughs> he, he's, he's uh, yeah, he's hilarious. Um, but I'm, uh, my, my theology hasn't changed in that sense. Um, I think the older I get, the more the more sympathetic I am with folks who aren't where I am. I grew up in a very liberal church. By the grace of God, I was converted, particularly the youth work was evangelistic in my, in my home church. Um, so I, I, I don't look down my nose at someone who is in a, a lesser well-taught situation. I wish them better. But um, I recognize that God brings us along. I preach in a wide variety of churches, some very reformed, some dispensational, some very charismatic, some... I I preach in a lot of different places, and I get a very positive response. uh, And I, I want people to be thinking more substantially. I want people to be thinking evangelistically instead of some of the silly nonsense. So in all of that, I, I don't... I don't go in full guns blazing to the dispensationalists and say, this is all silly, you know, why don't you get this right? No, you, 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 you have to be wise and sensitive, um, but you do want to bring people uh, further in, in their theology. So I, 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 don't, I don't really know. I think I'm, I'm becoming, I hope I'm not, <laughs> I'm not compromising, but uh, I'm certainly becoming less um, strict in, in terms of, uh, my awareness of where everyone is in the spectrum, and I don't, because, you know, it, there's one thing about being a Calvinist. It, it makes us aware that everything we have and everything we know and everything I am is by the grace of God. It's not that I've got the smarts to know the five points, and you, you know, silly person, would you, would you not get this? I'm so wonderful. no. If Calvinism affects us in any way, it is to make us more gracious and more humble and more recognizing, you know, what have you that you have not received? And so I I look upon others with that measure of sympathy. I want them to be well taught. I I was so glad to be in, in, in good fellowship and even in my seminary. Wasn't the most wonderful seminary, but my buddies around me guided me in the right books to read and uh, and so, yes, I want people to read the right things, to hear the right things, to grow in the right way, um, but I, I have, a, have a sympathy for those that are maybe a little less along that path. Um, I don't know if that answers the question. But, mm.
yeah, we, you know, there are 57 varieties. Yeah, you can't use, yeah. There are 57 varieties of Jewish life and practice. What we need to get into our heads, Christianity is about believing. Very much we believe certain things. We believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. Being Jewish is not about believing. It's about belonging. Far more important to a Jewish person to be part of the Jewish community, to be ethnically Jewish. They are natural branches. That's it. And they, they're broken off. They're lost. And many of them are atheists. And in fact, many of them will say that God died in the fires of Auschwitz. So you're absolutely right. I think the stats are probably about 80% are either agnostic or atheist. Um, and so most of them just know nothing. How do you connect with that? Well, you connect with that with any other per lost person. Um, sometimes we think, well, we can start with page one. We're not even together on page one. Um, and so, uh, you know, I, I visited a Jewish synagogue in Arkansas and uh, listened to the most boring sermon <laughs> I've ever heard. And the rabbi even started to sing in the middle of the sermon. He broke into song, I'm in the mood for love. I had no idea where he was going with this. You don't do that, brother? No, it's okay. Because um, I, I had kind of fallen asleep in the sermon, and then he started to sing. And I couldn't help but feel, and then he said to his flock, you know, I know some of you don't believe in God here. <laughs> this is the synagogue. But get in touch with God this Jewish New Year. Um, you know, and if you don't believe in God, get in touch with your God. Or, or all of us have a divine spark within us, so get in touch with that divine. This is the rabbi in the synagogue, and I'm thinking, that, that is, that's pathetic. And yet, he's standing behind all these ornate scrolls. And I felt like, you know, I was there as a visitor, and I felt like nearly throttling him, but I felt like challenging him. To you is... The covenant to you has been entrusted the oracles of God, says Paul. To you have been entrusted the oracles of God. Yet this rabbi is telling, get in touch with the, the divine spark. So all I just say, our Jewish friends are lost. We need to start at page one. And if they're not even at page one, you need to start, well, there is a God. One of the ways in which we do that, and I, I know we need, we need to stop, but one of the ways I do th we do that is Jewish history is a miracle. You guys shouldn't be here. You know, you should have been wiped out centuries ago. But in the words of Barbara Streisand, I'm still here. I'm st yeah, she's still here. Um, I started to sing there. Yeah. <laughs> she's still here. The Jewish people are still here. Why are they still here? That's the miracle. And in fact, from our perspective, this would be the lead into the sermon. I want to ask us, why are they here? And what is our responsibility? Because if God is sovereign in the raising up of nations, the bringing down of nations, and moving peoples, He has sovereignly brought 42% of Israel onto our mission doorstep. So what are we doing about that? Sorry, I don't know if that answers the question. I'm starting to preach again, so I better stop. <laughs> thank you, thank you so much. Yeah, I'm in the mood for love. Let's close in prayer together. Oh, great and gracious Lord our God, we thank you that you have raised up your servant, uh, your Savior, your Messiah, the chosen and anointed one whom you appointed to be uh, a light for all the nations. Thank you even as we have heard today that uh, the salvation we have uh, and the salvation we proclaim and, and the hope in Christ that we have is a gift from the Jews Christ himself told us that salvation is from the Jews, and so thank you uh, for engrafting so many of us into this tree and making us a part of what you are doing in the world, and I pray uh, that through our conversations today, and, and especially through hearing your word opened during our worship time together, that you would instill in us uh, a desire uh, to share that message back, uh, not just with our Gentile friends, uh, but uh, with our Jewish friends and our, our communities as well. Uh, give us open eyes to see those opportunities. Help us to be praying people, praying for uh, the ingathering of uh, your covenant people, uh, all of your elect from all the nations, including the Jews and the Gentiles and all those who have not yet heard and believed the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. We pray that you would prepare Stephen 
uh, as he opens your word today, as he uh, proclaims your gospel to us, uh, that we would be built up and strengthened uh, in the faith, that we would uh, rejoice in what you've done, this imperishable hope kept for us, unfading and undefiled in heaven, uh, and that you would establish our hearts blameless in the truth uh, through this preaching today, and that you would do a mighty work in us so that we uh, would plead with you uh, to do the work that you have already promised to do in the world. Uh, build us up, strengthen us, meet us in worship, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. <clears throat> 